Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Oh, I didn't even add you here. (laughs) Hey, there I am. There you are. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Teamwork, A Better Way. I'm Christian. That's Spencer. Spencer, how you doing? I am great, Christian, and I'm I'm excited to be with you today. I'm excited that that you're here. And boy, you look spiffy. Well, I I, I had a meeting that I just finished, and I had to be uh, wearing a shirt and tie for it. So I apologize uh, for not being able to dress in my usual polo shirt, which is my unofficial uniform for this podcast. But Spencer, it's great to see you. Your mic is running a little hot, so listeners, I apologize. We, uh, because of my uh, having to go back to back, we weren't able to do any testing before we hopped online. So I apologize okay, I'll turn that. it down. How's that? Is that better? Uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. Are you able to hear me? Okay. Yeah, you could you you could go up a, a, a little bit, but um, okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> this is I'll great. I, I told everyone that we would start about fifteen minutes late, but. Um, we're just we're excited to 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 be on now a little bit earlier than than the later we were expecting to be on. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good. Spencer, what are we talking about today? You know, it has we're this talking... word engagement in it. What yeah. does this mean? Engagement. Yeah. Engagement means it, it's really about how excited the employees are to show up to work to give their discretionary effort. Right. It means that that they are focused on the work at hand and not being distracted by, do I need to find another job? Uh, it, my boss is is not treating me well and, and I'm unhappy here. And so they're not giving their their full attention, their full focus to to the work that is at hand. And as a result, productivity is sapped and drained significantly. If I'm not taking my energy and saying, you know, I'm excited to be here, you know, my boss asked me to do something and I look for uh, solutions and, I, and I'm excited to, to participate because I'm involved, that's engagement. And it's suffering right now. I mean, you and I spoke recently about uh, team, uh, high performance teams. You know, we, we talked about an article, 8.7% based on that study that was just reported on in, you know, this January. My organization has been studying this for 30 years, and we see it at less than 12% in, in that time. I just spoke with a, a, an influencer who is an uh, organizational development speaker and trainer yesterday, and she's fairly young. She says, I've had 27 bosses, and in that time, I've only had four good ones. Now, that's about a 15% uh good scenario, right? And she said it it was so bad in one of the situations, the the toxicity of the environment that she actually became physically ill, had to go to the doctor. And and that is something that has created lingering um, challenges for her until recently, finally, she has a clean bill of health. But that's a year later. So you want to talk about engagements? If I have to worry about my health because of my job and how my boss treats me, I am not bringing my best self to the job. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, my heart goes out to her and, uh, 
I understand, although she's not alone. I mean, this happens. This is affecting a lot of people, right? Uh, uh, what was the Gallup uh, poll that you sent me the other day? It was like thirty-three percent. Yes, it's so uh, in twenty twenty-three, thirty-three percent of U.S. employees were engaged, and and that's really a slight decline from from twenty uh, from an earlier in in the year. And the figure is lower than the peak engagement levels recorded in, you know, 2020, which were 36%. And uh, and late June of that same year, we're at 40%. So, you know, we were talking about the impact a, a minute ago. And, and the article points out, and this is, you know, based on a, a lot of uh, study and research, when you don't have engaged employees or they're actively disengaged, that contributes to approximately 1.9 trillion in lost productivity nationally. And we're just talking about the U.S. I know we have global audience, but that's just in the United States alone. 1.9 trillion. That is the impact of people not being bringing their best self to the job every day because they're distracted, they're frustrated, they're unhappy. Well, what's causing this? Uh, what are the major causes that you are seeing? Like you say, you've been studying this for 30 years. You know, what are the major causes of disengagement? You know, why aren't employees engaged? Well, you know, there, there's several elements affecting engagement levels uh, since just 2022. One that to me is very uh, evident is clarity of expectations. And that people, what do you mean? I mean, people don't know what they're being hired for. Think about what's happened the last few years in terms of turnover. There's been a lot of upheaval in, in jobs. And there's a, a lot of my clients are short of labor. And so you, what, what, what is happening is when you have less than a full staff, that means the people that are there are taking on more responsibility. They're doing the jobs of, in some cases, two and three people. I think I talked about my friend in Lebanon who was doing the job of, you know, four people. She had a four-person team and now it's just just her. So what's happening is, is that you have less time available to mentor, to coach, to, to, to teach, to spend time uh, identifying their roles. And when people are taking on more roles than they're used to, what's my priority? Where do I focus? Um, so, so there's lack of clarity because there's a shortage of, uh, of workers in, in many organizations. High turnover means that we're, you know, we're, we're trying to bring people up to speed. They're not as productive early on. So there's still a drag on productivity and, and people are just stretched to, to the breaking point. So, you know, while having materials and equipment and the opportunity to, 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 to do one's best, it's, it's really brought down by just not knowing exactly what expectations are uh, because we, we're not taking the time to clarify that. Well, I can certainly see that's a problem. And the challenge with that is that much of it is outside of the employee's control, right? So uh, in cases where employees don't have any decision-making authority as to who they work with or who's on their team or how many people are on their team or whatnot, that can certainly add to a source of frustration. So aside though from, you know, 
companies saying, well, okay, well, we need to hire more people to back or, or to support the folks that we have here, which may not be happening. And what's the solution? Because, you know, a lot of it seems like it might be outside, you know, as you're talking, it sounds like, oh, these are external factors that I don't have a lot of control over. So, well, so, what, so there's a couple of things. Yeah, yeah, there are things you can do. And, and, uh, you know, I think there's a few more things that you know, I think we, we, we should really uncover. I think one of the the things that the article mentions is that this lack of clarity is really pronounced among hybrid and fully remote workers. And why, do, you know, why do you think that might be? Well, it's harder sometimes to establish and foster personal connection uh, through remote relationships or hybrid and hybrid. Uh, sometimes is challenging too because maybe not everybody's coming in the same day of the week and and so when you get there maybe the people that you want to meet there may not be there and right. so it's just it's just harder. I can't do what was on my agenda today because so, you know th- this person's not here and and you hit the nail on the head it's actually one of the solutions uh, to, which was your question a m- moment ago is how do we how do we begin to increase engagement? Well, one of the reasons why there's a lack of clarity with hybrid and remote teams is reduced amount of interaction and communication. So therefore, what? <laughs> do the opposite. Increase exactly. communication and interaction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that's one of the things. So, but, you know, another contributor to the decline in role clarity is a lack of formal training for, for managers and hybrid teams. I mean, that, you know, we've, we've, we've gone hybrid, but we're not really spending the time just like, Hey, figure this out, you know, because we, we don't have time. And so that idea of, we don't have time to figure things out. We just have to make it up on the fly, I think is, is, is a real fallacy. So often we're focused on efficiency at the expense of effectiveness. What would happen if we slowed down for a moment and say, I, I will make this a priority to sit down with my, my team and clarify the expectations, um, how we're going to work, take the time to do that. And as a result, Engagement increases, focus increases. People know exactly what's expected. Alignment improves. What that does is it magnifies the time that you have available. You've heard of that saying, and it sounds cliche, but slow, go slow to go fast, right? Sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. And when, when people just slow down a moment and say, I'm going to take the time to teach, to develop, to coach, the result is increased productivity and you're going to get more done. But if you're just focused all the time on work, 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 well, you remember Stephen Covey says, if you're just sawing the logs day after day, after a while, the blade gets dull and the more and the harder and the faster you go, the, the less, the, the, the less productive you're going to be. All right. You know me, I love my sports analogies. So I'm going to throw one in here. You're in a game or you're in a match and uh, things aren't going so well, what happens? The coach calls a timeout, right? Yep. You need a little bit of time to kind of establish what are you are, what are we not doing right? What could we be doing better here? That is supplemented. And I'll use American football here as the analogy because we just had the uh, uh, conference championships games over the weekend. 
that is supplemented with a halftime, right? So the in the halftime, the players and the coaches, they regroup, they make adjustments, they they assess, you know, all right, well, we were playing zone defense all the time and it, we weren't able to slow the other team down. Now well, let's switch it up and play a little bit more man-to-man. They make these kinds of adjustments. I think companies need to do the same thing. Teams, you know, corporate professional teams need to do the same things. You have to call timeout and you have to sometimes take a halftime and just assess. Uh, And as you said, uh, sharpen your saw, you know, Uh, what is it that we're doing well? What is not doing well? Okay, we need to fix this. We need to fix that. If you just keep going 100 miles an hour the entire time, it's not going to work and you're just going to burn everybody out. And so I think just as in sports where teams, you know, it's not going well, they take a time out to regroup. We need to do that in business too. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And, and, you know, that is related to also giving feedback. So one of the largest declines associated with clear uh, expectations declining is it's really taking this communication idea and the break that you're talking about and giving meaningful feedback. Hey, if you just change your, your block on, you know, this player this way, you know, we're going to, we're going to have an impact on, on the running game or whatever it is. So people need to have time with you as the manager so that you can give meaningful feedback and not just, Hey, at a girl, at a boy, Hey, that was really good. What was good? What can improve? And so very clear. And, um, you know, it's not always, we call it, you know, criticism, right? But feedback for improvement can, when done the right way can be very, very empowering. And, um, so we, we really need to learn how to do that. And I think that that's a, an important role of managers and they need to learn how to do that. That's one of the reasons why we need to spend time training managers. And that's where, in my opinion, Christian, where we in organizations have the greatest opportunity for improvement is middle management. They're the ones that get promoted often without a lot of leadership uh, experience and training. And they're the ones that are working with the frontline staff that that's where all the work is getting done. And that's where usually the, the time or investment is the least in development. So I think that's, I think that point is spot on Spencer that you've got middle managers promoted from line staff or supervisory positions into positions that, uh, you know, maybe management is not their core competency. They were very good at sales or they were very good at operations. or they were very good, uh, you know, just doing the work that needed to get done. Now they have a different responsibility. Uh, we're not providing them the toolkit, uh, that they need to do that effectively. And so, uh, the work that you've been doing with organizations over many years, these middle managers who are newly promoted, you know, what are the critical things that they need to learn first? You know, because, uh, you hear management's an art, and really it's a lifetime of learning. I mean, we're always it learning. Things. Um, but for someone who just got put in that position, you know, what what are the priority learnings that the organization should focus on delivering first? I, I love that question. And before I answer that, I just want to back up a little bit. You know, I've 
I think I've spoken on this show before about uh, one company. I mean, it's a great company called HubSpot. I mean, they're very, I mean, years ago, they were a $600 million company. And when I started talking to them, uh, now they're probably, uh, you know, close to a billion dollar company. And they would do quarterly employee reviews. And, you know, who were they hiring? They were hiring MIT, Boston College, Harvard, uh, some of the, the smartest and most brilliant people in the world. And they had terrible culture and engagement scores because even though these people were very bright, they didn't have experience with leading people. And I think one of the challenges, especially for new leaders, to answer your question is, is so much of the self-fulfillment that people have is doing the job. Well, now I'm promoted and my job is no longer doing the job. It's helping others doing the job. It's a completely different focus and it's a different skill set. So one of those things is understanding that you have to let go of doing the job and find pleasure and, and excitement in helping other people become as competent as you were and not just feel the or miss the the excitement and the engagement of being competent at doing the job. Sometimes it's just great to go and do your job, put your head down and not have to worry about anybody else. There's sometimes that there's something comforting in that. So that leads me to the next thing, being able to let go, know yourself, know how you communicate. What are the strengths of your approach and your style of communication? What are the weaknesses? Too often we hear, you know, people just say, just focus on your strengths. And this is such a, a, a hot button for me. It's a mistake. You know, we've had, we've had um, Scott Hamilton talking about to become that championship uh, skater in, in the Olympics. What did he have to do? He had to strengthen his weaknesses. So that means you have to have a self-awareness. That self-awareness can come from feedback from your managers. It can come from assessments. It can come from 360 evaluations. The problem is a lot of times is new managers want to prove their worth. They want to say, I deserve to be here. Therefore, I need to be the one providing all the answers. I need to be the one having all the information. And so they're not teachable. They're not aware. And they're just going out and, and, and trying to prove, I deserve to be in this seat. This is why you hired me. It's a huge mistake. Instead of being vulnerable, instead of being humble, instead of being teachable, instead of saying, hey, I'm new to this role. Team, let's figure this out together. I'm going to do my best to lead you. And I'm going to make mistakes along the way. That's hard. So, so you need coaching to, to help you to have the confidence to do that. So I said several things in there. You know, First of all, letting go of, of the job, control. Uh, learning your strengths and weaknesses and, and start working on those weaknesses, have somebody that can help give you feedback and coach you. I mean, th that's, those are great places to start. So just a couple of thoughts on what you said there, Spencer. Number one, uh, you know, leaving your old job behind and accepting the new job. You know, I think in some organizations, not all, I think a lot of organizations are doing better these days, but, uh, you know, it used to be that, the only way that you could really advance in the organization was to join management, right? And so if you wanted a pay raise or you, 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 you wanted, uh, you wanted to do different things. The only thing that you could do, I mean, the only option you had was to become a manager. And I think, you know, organizations these days are starting to learn that, Hey, maybe there are 
advancement opportunities for people who don't want to be managers. And I think it's important for organizations to accommodate that and understand that and, and also understand, you know, if a person doesn't want to be a manager, don't promote them. You know, they might feel like, yes, they'll, they'll shake their head and say, yeah, they're excited about the opportunity, but it's because they just don't have any other opportunities. So if you can find ways to engage them where they can have an impact without having to assume the mantle of management, I think it's important to explore that. Now, coming back to these these skills that you mentioned, I think you're absolutely spot on uh, with some of these early some of these early skills. Uh, what I would what I would um, say is, uh, while it's imperative for organizations to create this environment of engagement. Uh, and promote it and foster it and encourage it, we as individuals also need to step up and we need to, we need to engage ourselves. You know, I've been doing interviews with um, people who are event professionals and a will you, common will you let our theme. listeners know what that means to give a little more clarity of what so people who work in major sport events. So they are yeah. planning and delivering events like Olympic games or FIFA world cups or NFL super bowls, you know, yes. they're working in this industry. This, this is people, the, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to a, a, a master and a, a legend. You just didn't know it. Cause he's so humble. <laughs> oh, well, that's very kind of you to say Spencer, but what I am doing is I am interviewing the masters, you know, the people who have been in this space for decades. And one question I asked them is what advice would you give to aspiring professionals who want to enter this industry. Great question. And, and they often fall back on their own experiences. What you find in these successful professionals is one intellectual curiosity. Uh -huh. And that's a humility. Doesn't it take humility? Yeah. Two is a willingness to jump in and accept new roles. Like, uh, because if you do a good job in one space, then you get noticed and a person may ask you, well, can you do this over here? You may not have any expertise in that area. This happened with me when I was working on the Rio 2016 bid and the CEO of the company said, would you oversee the project to get all of the government guarantees that we need? Well, I'm not an attorney. I don't know anything about guarantees, but for <laughs> Whatever dumb reason, I said yes. So, so I have a it. question for you. What, how, what percentage from zero to hundred did you say you had the skills to do that job? And I have a very specific reason of asking you this. So I would say, looking back on it, I had the skills. At the time, I didn't think I had them because I thought I needed. Okay, so the, but that, but that's expert. important. If you didn't think you had them, what percentage did you think you had? 10%? Oh, I thought maybe 20%. I was like, okay, well, I'm good at managing projects, but I, I've i never negotiated uh, contracts with government officials, and I don't know anything about these but you, But you took asking. it, and, and this is important, because I was listening to your other uh, podcast that you participated with, Melissa Auschkog, and she was saying, in her experience, she says, it, from from her perspective, she says sometimes women won't take that extra opportunity unless they feel like they have eighty percent 
of the of the skills and skill sets. So some people are maybe more willing to take a, a, a chance. And I'm sorry to interrupt your story. This is really important, but I, I think that's interesting. Sometimes we we feel like I just don't have the skill set. And what did you find? What I found is that the skills that were actually most important to deliver that project were skills that I already had. Uh-huh. I thought I thought that I needed to be a legal expert and on guarantees, but no, what I needed to do is I needed to be very good at managing relationships and keeping uh, people on task, you know? <laughs> so I turned out to be pretty good at those things and that actually was the most important. And, and so, but that being said, you know, kind of coming back to my point is, is, uh, you know, having this intellectual curiosity, being willing to accept new challenges, even when you, you don't feel like you're qualified, you're like, I don't know anything about this, but I'm willing to learn. And if the organization will give you that space, you know, if they will, if they, if they will show enough trust in you to say, Hey, we would like you to do this, even though it's outside of your comfort zone, then then honor that trust, right? Reciprocate by saying, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. I, I don't know. I it, it's it it could it's a toss up. Maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't go well. But they had enough faith in me to ask me if I would take on this responsibility. So I'm gonna do it. And then the third uh element that I think has been common among all of these really successful career event professionals is they have learned to roll with the punches because nothing goes as planned. <laughs> you, I mean, you plan and plan and plan, and then you end up throwing all the plans away and you just do what has to be done at the moment. And the people who survive that and thrive in it are people who have learned to accept that and say, well, you know, it, things change and my plans that just, didn't, that, that, it didn't happen, but here we are today right? and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do whatever we got to do and we're going to fix it. Yes. Reminds me of the, the the story about you talking about the bathrooms right you you have this uh, disaster in a bathroom and you know it probably wasn't in your plan that day to well i got to go in there and clean this thing up but it work has to it has to happen somebody has to do it. it has to be done so step in and and do it and then the final thing is um the mentality that no job is too small don't think that you're too big to to do something like you say you know cleaning the bathroom, that's for the janitors. That's not for the VP of the company to do, right? Yeah, definitely. I I like to say that as managers, sometimes we have to get our hands dirty and deal with some crap. (laughs) That's right. And I didn't mean to kind of take us off on that weird tangent. I just wanted to make the point that it's such a good point. The company has to do stuff, but we also, as individuals, need to be willing to put ourselves out there and, uh, and you know, take some responsibility for skilling ourselves up and, um, and being honest and forthright about our own performance and being willing to improve and, and change and learn and, and so grow. Christian, and I think I- the thing that you, you highlighted that, from my perspective, is, is most important is initially you thought the promotion or the new job or the additional role had a technical component and and there may have been and you were looking at that as i need to learn how to do these contracts what you found was 
more important than that was the relationships that you developed. And, and one of the most important roles of a manager is to have meaningful conversation with your team members, to, to, to hold them accountable, to draw on their expertise. And I guarantee you, you'll have time to figure out and learn the nuances of the technical side of that. So the priority is, do you have the relationship? So if you feel like you have less than 80% of the skills, do you have the ability to connect with and understand people? Do you have the ability to motivate and encourage and, and hold people accountable? Those are the, the, the skills that, that we need to be developing in, in our, on our managers and, and, and the discipline to have those conversations. But so many challenges that one of the challenges, additional challenges that managers face in, you know, even in remote workplace is that they are often overburdened with administrative tasks. And so they don't have time for coaching. They don't have time to, they think they don't have time to prioritize people management and it, it must be a priority. You've got to make that a, a priority. So, so we've talked about a lot of different things to improve engagement, communication and transparency. What does transparency look like? Um, being willing to admit that you don't have all the answers. Being willing to go to your team for ideas and, and, and empower them to come up with potential uh, solutions right and and be very clear about company goals and objectives and 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 update important changes and and be transparent about it if hey we we had this plan and like you said roll with the punches right cuz things don't always go according to plan well let's talk about it to our team we're changing because x happened not because we want to cover up that we made a wrong choice or that our plan our original plan wasn't perfect it was hey we had a plan we got punched in the face now it's time to to adapt and change, and and we were wrong, and that's okay. We're you know moving forward, and then giving regular feedback. All of these are are communication skills, and then recognize your people when they come up with ideas and when they come up with, hey, I have an idea of how we can handle this this new change in direction. Encourage that, Pro promote others' ideas, and and let you let your team see how you recognize others efforts what gets recognized gets repeated right if you or what gets measured also gets uh, repeated so when you're measuring it you're recognizing it you're you're talking about it you're going to you know you're you're going to have some results make sure that it's sincere though again not just the at a girl or at a boy it's got to be real that means you have to actually have to stop and slow down and and have a conversation and connect uh, we talked about professional development, skill development, especially you know the people side and how you how you manage people and help people have the skills they need for career advancement, training programs, coaching, encourage continuous learning. You know, give people some balance, work life balance. Don't overburden them because you're going to burn them out and they're going to leave. And if you have people on the team that are toxic, that are uh, creating burnout because they're not willing to, to shoulder, well, be willing to make some hard decisions. And, and, and that's something that I see in organizations. Sometimes because we're shorthanded, Christian, we hold on to toxic people too long. And that has dire, dire consequences.
I've been talking too long. What other ideas do you think we can? Well, I've got a, I've got a question for you, you know, coming back to the middle manager, uh, who may feel a little powerless. Is it possible? And I'm asking you from this, your own experience working with organizations, you know, is it possible for the middle manager to create, uh, an island of positivity and culture in a sea of negativity, you know, where, okay, I'm working in this organization and it's large and it just has a very bad culture. And I'm a small cog in this machine here. How can I possibly, you know, make any kind of impact on my team or make any difference? Cause uh, you know, the, the organization as a whole just seems to be in a bad place. And, you know, I'm not, I'm just one (laughs) little person. Like, how can I make a difference? You know, what do you say uh, to people that are middle managers in organizations that are, you know, culturally deficient? I'm uh, dealing with that right now. Yeah, I'm dealing with that right now with one of my coaching clients uh, in Europe. I mean, she is doing a great job of creating a positive environment on her team. And it's hard because she doesn't have support of HR and other managers. And there is a a toxic individual on that team. And it's like, she doesn't have a a lot of power to, to change that. So she's doing her best within the parameters of what she has to actually shoulder some of the, the, the pressure coming from above and create a, a empowering and positive culture on her team. It's hard. And, uh, you know, it takes time for us talking together and there are small, um, victories and there are big setbacks and there are uh, other victories and you know, it, it's going okay. But at, at some point the, the question comes up, how much is this costing me? What is the impact on, on my physical well being, And, um, is it helping me to, to learn how to navigate difficult environments that is a healthy growth or is it having an, a, a negative impact on my physical and mental well-being? That that you have to each individual person will have to identify. Is it possible to do that? The answer is yes. I've also seen it go the other way, where it actually just consumes people, Christian. And uh, another situation in Canada, a major firm up there, just challenging environment, and this this individual finally had to leave. So it is it is quite situational. I want to go back to something you said about um, providing opportunities for people that maybe don't want to get promoted. You know, you and I, we've talked about our experience working for the United uh, Parcel Service, right? UPS. And my son still works there. And he was, he's such a hard worker. They promoted him to a supervisor and he was doing a great job working hard. His, his, his area was, was productive. But then what started happening is that they were struggling to, to bring people on that would work. And so they were paying people more and more for doing less and less work. And it got to a point, the people on his team were making more than he was. He is doing all this extra effort and, uh, his supervisor that he had, who he loved, had those regular check-ins, was 
vulnerable, was was uh, real, you know, was a great relationship and focused on helping the team. That person was promoted and the person that came behind them was not a good leader. And so it was a terrible experience just interacting with that with that boss. And at a point he's like, it is totally unworth it for me to be a manager and actually um, asked to be demoted. Lost, you know, a lot of benefits and insurance for an entire year. He had to go and start over again, basically, as an hourly employee. Makes more money with less headache. As an organization, are you providing an environment where your managers, your supervisors can thrive? Or is it just, uh, is it where they go to die in their career? Wow. What a story. <laughs> uh, uh, truth be told, I actually did that once in my career as well. Um, and and if I'm completely honest, it's because I wasn't a very good manager at the time. Yeah, I got a promotion to be a manager of uh, that was a self evaluation, not a cultural of instructor led uh, trainers and and uh, field technicians and consultants. So I had a staff of about twenty, and uh, and I got promoted into this position. And and I'll be completely honest, I did not handle it very well. I I I, I struggle with it, but I also did notice that the consultants that were on my team were making more money than I was. And so after doing it for a little while, I asked if I could become a consultant and they granted my wish. And I think they did because, <laughs> because I wasn't being a very effective manager, just, you know, being completely honest here. Uh, and I got a raise, you know, so, so yeah, I think corporations, they need to, they need to kind of assess, uh, you know, what they're doing. It's, it's not always bad that you, you know, you have a line staff that, that, that have uh, certain responsibilities that that make a very good living at those responsibilities. The work that they're de- doing is important and it's needed, and, right. and so on and so forth. Uh, you got to be careful not to alienate your your managers, right? Like you're saying by saying, "Well, shoot, I could get paid more money to do less." You know, exactly. Uh, do and al- although I wouldn't necessarily say do less, because those people uh, who are sorters and unloaders and loaders are working their butts off, so it's not like they're lazy doing nothing right uh, the work is very physically demanding yeah. but it's not that mentally taxing right it's like okay i'm just throwing boxes on a conveyor belt here and <laughs> and that's that you know it doesn't it, so uh it's a it's a good point spencer i don't know what the right answer is but but uh you know what your son experienced you know he's not the only one you know i yeah. think that happens in a lot of organizations where people look around and say well what am i doing this for i could go do this other thing and make more money and not work as hard. Exactly. You know, we, we just put this show on last minute, so we didn't have a lot of people join us, but uh, we have a couple people watching. One is Patrick Morrison. And he says, during any meeting with a, with a singular employee or a crew, I always give the eye opening example to compare how to approach something. He said, you nailed it using the coaching, using a timeout to stop and discuss the how to approach. So that's uh, somebody that resonated with what with what you said. Oh well, maybe we got a sports fan joining us, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, so a couple other things that you know we we need to create an environment that provides resources for stress. Jobs are stressful. 
uh, get mental health support. One of the things that I love about my ProScan assessment, Christian, is it measures how much good or bad stress the individual is on. And so it's something that can be that canary in a coal mine and say, all right, this person is under stress. Is it good stress or bad stress? And then we can, um, then it can be addressed. But you want to create a positive health focused, you know, environment. There's, there's a lot of discussion right now in, in the workplace in the United States about diversity, equity, and, and inclusion in the workplace. And I think one of the things that managers, I, I know, one of the things that they get to do is positively foster diversity and inclusion, right? And ensure fair treatment of all employees. That doesn't mean you don't have accountability and, you know, you need people that have competence in their job and we can't have incompetence, but we've got to make people feel included and, and treated fairly and obviously eliminate discrimination. And I think that's, uh, it's, it's too bad that that's still a, a problem. But right now, a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion programs are, are, are struggling. We won't talk about that so much today, but I think part of that reason is, is that if, if managers did their job, it wouldn't be such a, a, an issue, I think. Involve your team in decision-making as, as much as possible. It's not always appropriate. It's not every situation can you involve every team member. There's things that are, that, you know, for the industry, you know, advantages, you've got to do things secretly and you can't let everybody know all the time until, you know, the time is right. But seek feedback on initiatives and projects when when appropriate. Set clear goals, expectations. Goals not only organizationally, but individually. That's part of role clarity. And update people on progress and achievements and success. Let them know how they're doing along the way. Don't wait until the project is over to, to give congratulations. Find steps. Because if, if people are getting feedback and encouragement along the way, that's going to get them excitement to continue on and fight the fight. So, I, and of course, leadership development, we've talked about that. I'm just kind of trying to, you know, wrap up some of those suggestions that we've had. Um, gosh, anything else that we've missed? Uh, suggestion on the diversity thing. Yeah, uh, we've talked in the past on previous podcast episodes about the importance of having uh, diversity of thought and opinion on your team. Yes. And, and uh, as you were talking there, it made me think of the movie World War Z, which was based on a book. I'll I confess I haven't read the book. I saw the movie. I don't know if you saw the movie. I did. Uh, but it's basically the zombie apocalypse, right? Well, and the book is fantastic. I mean, my according to my wife, she just loves that book. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a scene in that movie where uh, the protagonist, who's played by Brad Pitt, is talking with another gentleman uh, <clears throat> in Israel, and he tells them uh, he tells him about the concept of the tenth man, and the idea of the tenth man is that if you have a people, you have a group of ten people, and nine are in agreement. There's one person that's assigned to take the opposite view and go investigate that opposite view, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was done intentionally to avoid groupthink where, oh, we all just do the same thing. We need to have at least one person on this team 
that takes the opposing point of view or a different point of view to bring it back so that we can make a, a well-informed decision. And so I just wanted to kind of point that out as a kind of a silly anecdote, but no, I absolutely you know, sometimes love that. we need to have people on our team who come from different backgrounds, who see things from a different perspective, look at things through a different lens, who can bring another point of view, because if we're all the same, we just, we, 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 we can walk ourselves into all kinds of, and we of need to empower that. Traps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. Lynch we have to empower and encourage it. Power. Uh, yes. Empower and encourage it. And, and Patrick Lencioni calls that mining for conflict. And it's not, not conflict in, in per se that we're having an argument. It is, we can't make a decision as I can't make a decision as a team leader until I, I hear from somebody on the team that tells me why my, our idea that we've talked about is a bad idea. Now, if we hear all those reasons and we still think it's a good idea that we're going to go forward with it, but if nobody speaks up and says, this is a bad idea because then, then we're not going to move forward. But that requires that there's trust. Somebody is going to have to, because are you going to punish that person for taking a, a contrary view? Well, then you're not very inclusive, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're not encouraging and empowering diversity of thought. And it takes courage. It takes confidence and humility. All the things that we've been talking about, it takes trust. All of those things to do on a team to be able to have that level of disagreement or uh, conversation. But when, when, it, when you get it right, it's fun. Well, it is. It's fun because it's safe. It turns out to be not fun when it's threatening. When people yeah. feel insecure, they have fear. Yeah. So you have to create this safe space. And that safe space, as you mentioned, is all about trust. If the, if the people on the team know that you have their best interest at heart, you have the best interest of the team at heart, uh, you're not, you know, being passive aggressive or trying to promote your own agendas or whatever, uh, but you're coming from a sincere place, then, then it's okay. So you have to foster that environment of, of trust. Yeah. Well, Spencer, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, final thoughts on engagement. I, I'm, I am hopeful that leaders that are hearing this, uh, business owners are, motivated in 2024 to turn those numbers upside down. You know, remember that primary song that we used to sing, if you see a frowny face, do not let it stay. <laughs> turn that frown upside down and smile your frown away or whatever. But uh, I, I, I don't know why I said that. I was just being silly. But the idea is, is we see these numbers and they are negative. And that means we have an opportunity. I, I, I When I talk to audiences, I talk about that relationship between positivity and productivity. And the one quadrant, which is low productivity and low positivity, I ask them, is there any redeeming quality to being in this quadrant as a business? And some of them get it. Most of them don't. They're like, no, we don't ever want to be there. But the one redeeming quality of that quadrant is, is that if the pain is good, great enough, it will motivate you to change. Sometimes you have to, to, to experience the pain of low engagement, poor engagement, high turnover to say, I, as the leader, get to change my approach. I get to 
focus on increasing employee engagement. It starts with me, how I treat my direct reports, and how I empower them to do the same, all the way down to the frontline employee. And if if these numbers and the results and uh, that organizations and teams are experiencing are are poor enough that it motivates leadership to change, then to me, this is the point of what we're talking about today. That is my hope. Well, I echo that as well, and. And uh, I think the best first step that anybody can take in that journey is to have a conversation with somebody and get, you know, have a sounding board, have someone share their advice, their opinions with you. What do they think? I think it's always good to seek that advice out. And Spencer, you have been, as you mentioned, advising companies for over 30 years on this kind of stuff. So if people want to connect with you and learn more about how you could potentially help them engage their employees, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect? I, I love it when people reach out to me on LinkedIn. It, it happens daily. Um, Spencer Horn on LinkedIn. You can go to my website at altmleadership.com. Uh, learn a little bit more about me, but it's best to interact immediately if you, and you can do that on, on LinkedIn. And Christian, same for you. How do how do people find the brilliant Sir Napier? <laughs> oh well, they can find Christian Napier. They can find me <laughs> online on LinkedIn. Just same as you. Just look up Christian Napier on LinkedIn. You'll find me there. And uh, as always, I'm super happy to connect with anyone and anything I can do to help. I'm more than happy to do so. And listeners, viewers, thank you for taking an hour out of your Tuesday to join us. Really great to have you here. Like and subscribe to our podcast, and we'll catch you again soon. Spencer, thank you. Thank you.